welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. I'm your host, Jonathan Ambrigero, here with our editor and my co-host, Logan Ramsey. And we begin today's news. Dateline, Missouri. Uh, The draconian abortion bill being pursued by Republicans in the State House in Missouri, set forward by uh, State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman. Lawmakers are seeking to ban all forms of abortion with no exception for rape or incest. When asked about this, Representative, or rather Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman said, quote, God doesn't make mistakes, end quote. Well, that's nice to know, isn't it, Logan? By that (laughs) rationale, everyone in the evangelical movement that is seemingly taking over uh, the state of Missouri should embrace every member of the LGBTQ community. I mean, God doesn't make mistakes, right? That's what the lady said. If God doesn't make mistakes, well, then there's nothing at all wrong with anyone in the LGBTQ community. Seems that they bring out these religion as a way to shield themselves, given the Supreme Court is so radical, that uh, they know that they that likely won't be stricken, at least until the court has uh, been realigned or whatever has to happen there. And more headlines, we move to South Carolina. In South Carolina, Trump wins the primary by a 60 to 40 margin over Nikki Haley, the last of the Republicans challenging him for the Republican nomination to become president of the United States. However, this is bad news for Trump. Why? How could a 20% win be a bad thing? Well, because in 538's polling, the best Nikki Haley did was about 27.6%. Now, that's an aggregate from all the polls that they had taken. I had seen her polling no more than a week ago, or at least a week before the election, 38% behind Trump. So... Um, Trump should be winning the way an incumbent wins. And when we're speaking about incumbents, the actual incumbent, President Joe Biden, won 97% of the vote in South Carolina. That's what an incumbency is supposed to look like. If you're challenged in a primary as an incumbent, you're supposed to go out and get 90, 95, 97% of the vote the way Joe Biden did. And technically, Donald Trump's still sort of an incumbent, at least among Republicans. For people that don't know, what does the definition of incumbent mean? Because I'm sure a lot of people don't know. Incumbent means currently serving. Okay. So if you're being challenged in a primary, if I'm the sitting senator from Tennessee, and we're both in the same party, and you want my seat... The only way to get it is to primary me. You can't run against me in a general election. You'd have to be a Republican. Mm. You'd have to win their primary. So you would primary me, and then it would come, okay, who's going to get the nomination for the Democratic Party in the state of Tennessee, for example? So, Or if I was governor, same concept. President, Our incumbent president, the man who's in office at this moment, is Joe Biden. 
or your incumbent senator from Tennessee, you know, unfortunately, Marsha Blackburn uh, or Bill Haggerty. So this is uh, this has got to be terrible news. With 29 percent, 29 percent of Haley voters saying they will not vote for Donald Trump. We're starting to talk about a significant portion of the Republican Party. And you know that it's bad because the first words out of Trump's mouth when making his victory speech after polls closed on Saturday night was that the Republican Party has never been so unified. So (laughs) we know now we know for sure if we didn't if we we could only assume before Donald Trump opened his mouth. But now that Donald Trump has opened his mouth and said that we know for sure the Republican Party is in some form of fucked. You know, yeah, because they're not unified. No, if Donald, because you know, like when Donald Trump calls Democrats or a de- Democratic president like Joe Biden a fascist, that's uh, I mean, if that's if that's not projecting onto your political adversaries, I don't know what is. Um, Usually, I take whatever Trump says mm-hmm. and reverse it or apply that, it to Trump. Yeah, yeah, because that's. You have whenever you're thinking about what Trump says, like it's a whole. First off, uh, like all the fascist people that the magas that follow him are like Trumpaloompas, and then now you have to because this man is so insane, so crazy, that it's you have to break your brain down and do Trumpology just to understand mm. this man. Yeah, you have to sort of. He appears to me having lived, and this is on a serious note for a moment. Mm-hmm. Having lived with someone and witnessing them sort of slide into, you know, dementia. My grandmother had vascular dementia. Yeah. Um, it, it does. It appears to me the more you see Trump act out, the ridiculousness of that uh, sneaker drop at SneakerCon in Philadelphia, yeah. where you know the guys up there trying to keep a smile on his face while people are everyone is everybody's booing. booing him and yelling go Biden you know as he presents these ugly the, I mean it's one of the most hideous shoes I've ever seen it looks like something a pro wrestler would wear but uh, I guarantee you they will be popping up in the uh, MAGA neighborhood nearest you as soon as they're actually available um, last I heard they weren't available at $400 a pair and they look like they bust if you stepped in a puddle. I mean, they really are a shameful thing and an embarrassment. I mean, along with Trump trading cards and everything else he's had to do, it has to be. Honestly, if I only had two choices, either those shoes or some SpongeBob Crocs, I would rock oh, the SpongeBob Crocs. Yeah, those are the. And the thing is, is that they're supposed to be themed around him, you know, having to have his mugshot taken. And the state of Georgia. But they're gold. But they they say never surrender on them. They're the never surrender Trump shoes. But here's the thing. When Trump went and got arrested in Fulton County, he right, turned yeah. himself in. That's called surrendering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're not surrendering, no, no, surrender, the cops. Surrender as quickly as possible shoes are available. They're $400 <laughs> a pair. They're ugly as hell. They look like holdovers. Like cheap holdovers from Studio Fifty Four um, is the the first thought that jumped into my mind. Um, so, you know, Trump pulling out all the stops to come up with the eighty three million dollars he owes E. Jean Carroll. Sure. Uh, the four hundred fifty four million dollars 
that he owes New York State. That clock is now officially ticking. As of just a couple hours of this podcast being recorded, Trump has officially filed the paperwork in New York to uh, appeal the $454 million verdict money judgment he has hanging over his head now, thanks to Letitia James and the civil fraud trial. So in federal court, he owes $83.3 million, the Southern District of New York, uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, case against E. Jean Carroll. And the state trial against A.G. Letitia James, Judge Ingeron was the jurist who, who served uh, as the judge in that trial, came back with a $355 million ruling against Trump, but with interest that accrues daily, if I'm not mistaken, he now owes $454 million. $454 million. And in a deposition prior to that trial, he said he had roughly $400 million in cash on hand. That, of course, is the entire Trump organization. So if in 30 days, Trump doesn't produce the $454 million or the $83.3 million, both E. Jean Carroll and the state of New York can begin selling off his property. I think this hurts Trump more than going to prison because the concept that he's this brilliant businessman who lives outside the um, Washington, D.C. swamp shows, for one, to people who are really paying attention and to Republicans who just sort of gone with it and voted Republican against their better judgment. This this serves notice that he's not a brilliant businessman. No. That this this is a man who has bankrupted casinos. Casinos. Made a fake university. A fake, I mean, he's been, he was fined to death for that. I think it was a $25 million judgment against him several years ago for that, that he had to set up a fund to pay the uh, poor folks who were scammed into believing they were actually going to get some sort of degree from Not that. only that, he lies about the value of his properties. That's what the, the AG case was. That's what that was all about. Yeah. It was about lying about the value of your property to either uh, decrease the actual value for tax purposes or increase the value for loans uh, in your statement of financial uh, condition. So he put forth all of these, th- this persistent... Uh, fraud, Judge Ingeron called it pathological fraud, like like it was fraud he couldn't help but but commit. And they came back with this $355 million number. Here's a truly stunning number to me. At this rate, at $454 million that he currently owes the state of New York, as he goes through the appellate process, it adds $112,000 a day and interest. Now we know, at least at the time of this recording, Donald Trump does not have the 500, almost $540 million required to appeal these two cases. 83.3 million, which is accruing interest that he owes uh, Miss Carroll, and the 454 million he currently owes New York. We know that he doesn't have that. At least we have made that assumption. It's an educated guess at this point. So, I'm not sure what happens with this other than Trump, you know, trying to push it, push it, push it till 
the election. And I don't really know what Trump expects. Does he honestly expect to win this election? He's not going to win. I mean, we have to hope. We have to get out and vote. We don't want to create any lethargy among Democratic voters or independents who lean Democrat or yeah, even Republicans. Yeah, but he actually thinks he's going to win. I mean, he's, 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 yeah, he's convinced himself there's no chance he's going to not win. And if he doesn't win, then he's already setting the stage for it's rigged, it's rigged, it's rigged. When the only person who ever really tried to rig an election... Was him. Well, yeah, I mean, we have the phone calls to Brad Raffensperger in the state of Georgia asking the state, the secretary of the state of Georgia... So just find me 11,780 votes. Apparently. Oh, but that's fake news as well. Well, he also the fake elector scheme that went from Georgia to Arizona to Wisconsin to Michigan. We know that there were those fake electors because some of them have been charged or come forward and spoken to the press um, in states like Michigan and Arizona, but specifically in, in Georgia because many of those fake electors were uh, charged in his RICO yeah. conspiracy in Fulton County. Remember the uh, video of the people coming in and they were saying that they worked for the company that owned the machines for the elections? Those were That was in Coffee County. That was yeah. a, with a Coffee County um, elections clerk. Yeah, and they tried to get into the uh, software and mm -hmm. and create a mess. I mean, it's all it's all terrifying, especially if you're actually concerned with, uh, you know, helping uh, keep our democracy. Now, this is interesting. Nikki Haley has been on the campaign trail saying Donald Trump can't win. His lack of ability to appeal to, say, modestly conservative uh, suburban women who have always been the deciders, if you will, of elections given our electoral college, saying that they absolutely won't vote for the man. Absolutely will not vote for him under any circumstance. In fact, 35% of Republican voters, this from the New Republic, say that if found guilty of a criminal charge, not a civil charge, but if found guilty of a criminal charge, they absolutely would not vote for him. More bad news, 29% of Haley voters, which it appears about 40% of Republican primary voters are Haley voters and not Trump voters, 29% of them say under no circumstance, conviction or no conviction, they will not vote for Donald Trump, that they would either consider voting for the current president, Joseph Biden, or they simply wouldn't vote for president at all and just leave that part of their ballot blank. I mean, so I see polling come out, you know, that shows, you know, well, Biden trailing by two points to Donald Trump. And I just can't really fathom that. First of all, let's keep in mind that Trump's an easy target to beat up on. So I think the Biden campaign is doing two things. One, give him all the rope. Let him go. Let Trump be Trump and let him hang himself. We don't really need to say I mean, say he's going to do it regardless. Right. So he's so there's no reason to really... Get involved in that. Let, let Trump be Trump. Two, the messaging. Trump's a con man. He's a threat to our democracy. He's, he has over a half billion dollars in money judgments against him at this current moment. He's now lost his business license for three years in the state of New York. His sons each got a two-year ban 
and $4 million fine each. That's Eric and Don Jr., who is obviously abusing drugs. I mean, it is, uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be funny if it weren't so sad. You know, it really, really would. Yeah, they want to talk about uh, Hunter Biden's drug use, but, I mean, look at Trump's right. kids. Exactly. I mean, this, the but evidence... No one wants to talk about that. Right. I mean, the evidence of, of, of Don Jr., when you see these interviews, the evidence um, that he's on some sort of drug, likely cocaine or some sort of upper... With bloodshot eyes, he looks strong. Dilated out. pupils. Yeah, he's just going every which direction, talking about nonsense, uh, because his lifestyle, you know, appears to be on the line. His ability to live so lavishly and not, never worry about paying a bill, and to have the silver spoon abruptly jerked from his mouth, um, terrifies him. And <clears throat> this, you know, his dad going to prison. I don't think bothers Don Jr. one bitter he could care less one way or the other. I don't think that any of the Trumps love each other. I think everything that happens in Trump world is transactional. You do this for me, I do that for you. You know, mm -hmm. that's sort of the way it feels. Um, but it's hard to say. So in order to actually officially appeal this and and have a, a court review it, to officially appeal it, he's got to come up with a $454 million. Sure. And as far as that criminal uh, charge goes, all those Republican voters who say they won't vote for him if he's criminally convicted, not found civilly liable, but criminally convicted of a crime, well, that kicks off on March 25th, folks, in New York City. The district attorney of New York City, Mr. Alvin Bragg, brought charges, hush money payment, charges against Donald Trump in the Stormy Daniels case, if you can remember how that worked. If you don't remember, I can give you a little refresher. He paid Stormy Daniels $135,000. That did not show up on his um, campaign disclosures in 2016. That violated New York state law, which Trump was a citizen, is a citizen of New York state. I think he just changed it about a year ago uh, to try and shield himself. Um, from prosecution in New York, but he broke New York state law. It's also a federal law, but the feds aren't pursuing that. So he's, he's going to face a jury in New York City over the falsification of documents when it comes to the Stormy Daniel payment and essentially go on trial for the same thing Michael Cohen was on trial for. Um, when he ended up getting two or three years in prison. And there is a real chance that even this, what seemingly minor, small matter before the court in New York City could still put him in prison. It's not as likely as, say, the D.C. case, which may resume uh, as soon as the New York City case is over. It looks like... Trump's trying to play federal judge against federal judge by pushing the D.C. case into what looks like May when the Florida case is also scheduled for May. It, to me, it seems that uh, that won't work, that there'll be filings made by Jack Smith's office to make sure this whole thing gets streamlined so that as soon as Judge Chutkin 
um, in the DC case, which again is the most likely to send him to prison the, the, the quickest. He could still end up going to prison for charges in Georgia, could still end up going to prison for charges in Florida at a much slower pace because Judge Cannon's compromised. Let's just oh, face yeah. it. Judge Cannon is a stooge. The 11th Circuit, who oversees her out of Atlanta, the 11th Circuit, who are essentially her bosses, have smacked her down in really epic ways two times before Judge, the I'm sorry, Special Counsel Jack Smith is now getting close to having everything he needs to go to the 11th Circuit and say, yo, it's time to, to cut this lady loose. I mean, she's acted so far outside her purview. She's endangering witnesses. Now she wants unredacted, sealed uh, information about the names and uh, code names of FBI agents and FBI operations. Yeah, and that can compromise their safety. Made public. So she wants that unsealed. Of course, they're going to run to the 11th Circuit and make sure that doesn't happen. But that just shows you the danger and sort of the derangement of Judge Cannon. And there's no doubt that she sees, okay, it looks like the D.C. trial is going to be pushed to May depending on when the Supreme Court comes back and says, no, there's no such thing as uh, absolute immunity or um, whatever they end up actually doing. They may deny the case altogether, which would kick it back and get it started again. And uh, D.C., there's going to be a trial on March 25th that'll take three, four weeks to try once it gets going. That's the in front of Judge Marchand in New York City. That's a bad case for Trump. Then the D.C. trial will be next if, uh, depending on what the Supreme Court says, Supreme Court says, well, look, there is no absolute presidential immunity, so go ahead with your case, circuit court. Then that's where I think Judge Cannon is going to try to get fishy, you know, where she said, I said a May 24th or whatever it is, uh, trial date. Well, yeah, but you've already managed to push it, push it, push it. And the Trump lawyers are going to keep coming back to you trying to to get more and more delay. But I think that, again, he'll go, Jack Smith, the special counsel, will go to the 11th Circuit or of Court of Appeals in Atlanta. And that's an all-Republican panel who has just been vicious to <laughs> Judge Cannon in the past and, and either move beyond Judge Cannon so that that thing can get started, uh, who knows, as soon as the election's over, maybe even right before the election, but likely the two cases will be the D.C. case. We already know the New York City case is happening on March 25th, which again could still get, ju- get uh, Trump prison time. So we'll see what happens. It's hard to, um, it's hard to predict right now what will happen. We know that the New York City case is going to happen, the Stormy Daniels hush money payment case. We know that the D.C. trial should be next, depending on what the Supreme Court does. But I don't trust the Supreme Court, Logan. No, neither. I don't think that there's any way in the world they're going to come back and say, yeah, we believe there's 100% presidential immunity as long as you're in office. Because that makes anybody who is a political rival a target. And I don't mean a target from a lawsuit. I mean a literal target. Yeah, death. Right. And I mean, that's what Trump's arguing. That was the question put forward by 
one of the circuit court judges about SEAL Team 6 killing your political opponent and them having to say yes. Yeah, ultimately it would mean that. So that's, uh, I think they're doomed. There's been some whispering, some murmuring that, or rather muttering, that this whole thing is about um, the one or two of the far right-wing justices in the Supreme Court having enough time to write a fiery dissent, as if they were ever really considering it. But at least one or two of you can have some time. Write a fiery dissent, that's fine, and then we'll file that with the majority. You know what a dissent is in a Supreme no, Court case? No, I was case? about to ask, what is a fiery so, dissent? So a dissent is the losing side. So when it, when they take a, uh, there's nine, nine judges on the full panel of the Supreme Court. Those judges will review a case. There will be the winning opinion that's written to support why they came to this conclusion, say 5-4 or 6-3, you know, majority division. The dissent comes from the losing side. So if you're, say, one of the two judges who vote against something, then you have the opportunity to write a dissent. What I imagine is happening is one of these extreme right-wing lunatics um, uh, on the Supreme Court, like Justice Thomas or Justice Alito, are being given the opportunity to write their, you know, uh, long-winded dissent of why, you know, a president has to be immune and why Donald Trump was definitely immune from everything that happens <laughs> on January 6th. It, again, sort of in a performative manner. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're, 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 they're putting on a little song and dance to make the extreme right wing in the country and the extreme right wing that supports Trump happy. Sort of that, that kind of con- concept. That's what I think's going on. That's what I've heard especially from sources like Glenn Kirshner, MSNBC, legal analyst and former uh, uh, federal prosecutor for 30 years uh, in the District of New York. Um, I'm sorry, the District of Columbia. So, you know, it's it's mind-boggling. I don't know how dude sleeps at night with... I don't think he does, first of all. I think he is his... Hell no, with decline. all that Adderall he's on? Well, I don't, I don't, you know, leaving all that aside, because yeah. we don't have any firm proof Trump I mean, the is mental. doing this. That. But, but that we do have firm proof that Donald Trump is far more mentally declined than just with what comes with age. There's something more to Donald Trump. He's almost 78 years old, so he's three years younger than Joe Biden. But that seems to be a wash to me. Because we're talking about three years when guys are 80 years old. So I don't see how that's an issue at all. On top of that, Donald Trump seems to really be losing his mind. The whole uh, sneaker con thing in Philadelphia was just weird. You know, him carrying on and on about having beaten Barack Obama. I think he's getting fantasy and reality mixed up. He doesn't seem to really know where he's at or what he's doing half the time. I mean, there's no there's no way to really follow a Trump speech and anybody who says, I know everything he's saying, I understand everything that's going on up there, well, then you're one in a million because nobody else seems to understand what the hell he's talking about. And when he starts his speech, his victory speech in South Carolina with the Republican Party's never been so united despite the fact 40% of people voted for somebody else. I mean, you goofy, uh, expletive, expletive, expletive. 
<laughs> there simply aren't enough words. So, setting all that all that aside, this is what it comes down to, and this is why we have to be so pro-democratic. We have to highlight the accomplishments of what has been the most successful presidency of my lifetime. I'm 40, never seen a guy get into office to get as much done, bipartisan, partisan, whatever, that as Joe Biden got done when Democrats had control of the House, about six or seven seat control of the House. They had uh, a one seat advantage or a two seat advantage in the Senate. Um, and they got a ton done from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act, capping Medicare prices for uh, prescription drugs, uh, you know, capping the price of insulin at $35 for Medicare recipients, the CHIPS Act, the PACT Act. I mean, it goes on and on. 14.8 million jobs created, and we're about to roll into another month and get another jobs report. All of the jobs from the pandemic are filled and have been filled since August of 2022. So within his first year in office, Biden had already gotten all of those jobs back that were lost during the, the, the pandemic. So we, we, we talked about the judgments. This man is an adjudicated rapist. He has defamed his rapist and essentially toyed with her emotions since, uh, well, forever, since, since sexually assaulting her. He's a make-believe Christian. There is nothing Christian about Donald Trump, uh, and he can't even come up with a Bible verse to throw out there when asked. His, he's not obviously not a savvy businessman. Do you want a man who's being found civilly liable for $454 million plus another $83 million plus another $5 million and that's not even the end of it. I mean, it's going to keep going up. Do you really want this to end our democracy? You want this to be the guy who's declared king of America. I mean, if you're going to have an authoritarian regime in the United States, which is nightmarish, don't you at least want it to be somebody smart? <laughs> somebody who's accomplished? I mean, you really want this, this, this doofy, this dumbass? We could go on all day. But that's basically the Magnolia Media update. Now, Logan, our last episode, we managed to record. We were pushed back a day getting started this week. Our last episode, I put forward a playlist, remember? Yeah. Okay. Five so, songs. Five songs, different artists, but give us your playlist. What you got, man? All right. For number one... Mine are actually categorized and rated. Uh, number one is Wren, Jenny's Tale, Screech's yeah. Tale, and Violet's Tale. Yeah, the three songs. Um, you have to listen to them in that order. Otherwise, right. they won't make sense. Okay. Um, number two, Hoser, Swan Upon Lita. They're hard to beat. Beautiful song. Yeah, Hoser's good. Um, Sean James, The Thief and the mm -hmm. Moon. And Tom's Diner. It's a cover by yeah. Ann May and uh, Giant Rooks. Mm -hmm. Wonderful song, uh, especially a good song to listen to whenever you're getting ready in the morning. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Okay. Right on, man. Well, we're going to continue our, our playlists. Uh, coming back on Wednesday, We so Thursday, we'll have an interview with 
Tell us about who, who I'll be interviewing so this Thursday. We'll be longer. interviewing Miss um, Felicia Utsi Petway. She is the founder of Love is the Answer, Stewards of the Earth. Uh, that is a, a, a foundation that I worked with whenever I was younger. I actually talked about it on the episode that I explained myself. And um, she is a wonderful woman. Mm-hmm. She has a son that his stage name is Dynamic Ray. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of music and dance. Right on. So she, again, is another pillar of the Magnolia community in East Knoxville, Tennessee, where... where uh, this podcast is produced and recorded, and she will be, we're going to, looks like, record uh, f- for you Wednesday, the what 28th of, mm-hmm. of February, so that should be up for you on uh, or late Wednesday, or, but really look for it Thursday mornings if you're a follower of Probably the show. Probably the 29th. On the, the 29th, the, the, we're in a leap year this year. Uh, so the 29th of February, that'll be up and available for you. We really appreciate it. Those were always our most interesting um, episodes. When we had Miss Holloway on, Miss uh, mm-hmm. Jacqueline Holloway, that was an absolute blast to interview her, to have her in the studio with us. Yeah, um, we love you, Jackie. Yeah, we appreciate you so much, Miss Holloway, for, uh, for your time and uh, for incredible storytelling. It was really uh, the story of her life and how she came to be a part of all of her work um, was was captivating. It really was uh, to, to listen to her tell her story. It was just sort of set back in awe of her even as an interviewer. So we'll have that one for you on Thursday. Be sure and check in on us or check in with us later in the week. We'll update you on our uh, playlists. We're gonna get uh, we're gonna get more sophisticated with these playlists. We'll work on the metric for you and have some sort of announcement on Friday's show. So um, check back in with us on that one, Logan. Anything else before we wrap it up? No, just if you're enjoying the episodes and you're enjoying the show, uh, please check out our Patreon. What is it? Magnolia? Patreon.com forward slash Magnolia Media Network. Okay. I hope you all are enjoying. Much love and be safe. Okay, well, that pretty much does it for us. Uh, today's episode was p- directed and produced by me, Jonathan M. Ruggiero. Our editing and effects were done by... Logan Ramsey. Yes, he's also our co-host for today, and all of our technical support will come from Courtney Halstead, who will be joining me later this week. So until next time, here at the Magnolia Media Podcast... Be well.